Okay, mic check, one, two, one, two, one, two. Uh, yeah, let's get it. Okay, so if y'all want to get crazy, we can get crazy. crazy, 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 crazy. What? Great parade. Red. Who drank my apple juice? I, 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 I like to give a big round of to my band, Sexual Chocolate. Please. What? One game, one on one. For what? Your heart. It was like his dip just talked. Baby, please. Please. Please, baby, please, baby, 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 please. Yo. Got the juice now, man. And that's the double truth. Roo, roo, roo. Yes, 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 y'all. Welcome back to Adventures in Black Cinema, your passport to black film. My name is Desmond Thorne. I will be your host and your film aficionado for the day. I am very excited for today's episode because today we are taking an adventure in creatives and the critical lens and we will be getting into the nitty gritty of the film Soul, which is Probably the most recent film that we've talked about on the show. We usually like to dip into the 80s, the 90s, the early 2000s. But this film, I felt like, deserved a conversation. And I'm very excited to be having this conversation today with my wonderful guest, Miss Jordane Searles. Give her a round of applause. (laughs) So, welcome, Jordane. So glad to have you here today to talk about this film. Happy to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do in the world of film? Uh, yeah. I am a film critic. Um, I, I program films every once in a while. I do I do Q and A's. I talk about films on podcasts. I've been on Blank Check and like NPR um, Pop Culture Happy Hour. I have my yes. I have my own podcast about movies Woo! called Bad Romance Pod, where we talk about bad romantic movies and we try to <laughs> dissect them. Uh, you know. I'm just a movie person. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's amazing. And also, Jordane's Twitter is so wonderful. It's so funny. Also, slash insightful. And just like, I feel like the good shit is happening on Twitter now, which I never thought that I would say. And at the same time, it can be also shitty and problematic since everybody and everything is there. Um, but Jordane's Twitter is absolutely wonderful to follow. And so you also have been in the world of comedy too, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm a comedian. I mean, I yes. didn't mention that before because I didn't feel like that was like film related, but I guess it is. <laughs> nah, it's all good because I mean, I do comedy stuff. Our executive producer is a comedian, so the two go hand in hand on this show. Um, and so, how, what's it like for you to be in the film world as well as the comedy world? Um, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's very different. I mean, comedy is much more like. We're all friends, or at least we try to be, <laughs> whereas yes. like film, I think, especially like film writing is much more isolating. Yeah. Um, but I mean, they're both jobs that don't pay that much. So they have, they have that in common. Word. That is so true. That is so, so true. And, you know, speaking of being a freelance creator, someone who creates, someone who writes, and someone who was on that journey of creating 
creating and being freelance. I'm interested to talk about some of those things that pop up in this movie that we're going to talk about today. But first, y'all know, if I have a guest on the show, that means we have to play a round of Who's Invited. Is a tasty burger. So, Who's Invited is a game that we play on the show, as I said, when I have a guest. And this game entails my guest deciding which films directed by white people that are considered to be black films get invited to the cookout and which ones do not. And why do we play this game? We play this game because I want to raise awareness. There's mad black films that are directed by white people and I want to raise awareness of this thing that we call the white gaze when we see films. I want us to be aware of when this film was made, who is this film for? So, the rules of this game are, I will go down a list of these black films directed by white people over the course of a minute, and if you think the film I said gets invited to the cookout, your response must be, yes, sir. And if you do not think the film gets invited to the cookout, your response must be, by Felicia. You shall not pass on any of these films. If you haven't seen it, you must go off the vibes that you feel, the things that you've heard. And we'll do a little practice round before we get into the official tissue. All right, so throw three little practice movies at you. First one being a classic example. The Color Purple. Um, whether or not it gets invited to the cookout, is that your... Yep. Um, these terms, I have qualms with them, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. And basically, you know, invited to the cookout in this sense means... Is it truly a black film that is accepted into the hearts of black people? Um, second example... The Wiz. Uh, so I, I have not seen The Wiz, but I know that a lot of black people ride for The Wiz. So I'll say yes. Awesome. And last example in the practice round, the last black man in San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> uh, no. I agree with you on that one. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to start the timer in just a second. All right. The timer has begun. And coming to America. Yes. (laughs) Waves. No. (laughs) Foxy Brown. Yes. Blade. Yes. <laughs> um, Amistad. No. <laughs> um, Half Baked. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Booty Call. Yes. <laughs> uh, Good Burger. Yes. What's Love Got to Do with It? 
Sure. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, and last but not least, a raisin in the sun. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Let's get into the nitty gritty of soul. You are here for one reason, one reason only to learn, to learn, to learn. So, soul was released in 2020 on Christmas, so it's very, very new. It was directed by Pete Doctor and Kemp Powers, who also wrote the play and the screenplay for One Night in Miami, an excellent, excellent film. So a little summary of the film, if y'all aren't familiar with it, if you haven't seen it. Uh, This animated tale follows a jazz musician named Joe Gardner, voiced by Jamie Foxx, who is currently a middle school band teacher rather than living his dream as a famous jazz pianist. One day, he finally gets a great gig playing with a wonderful quartet, and he dies after accidentally falling into a pothole. When his soul goes to the great beyond, Joe attempts to cheat death and return to his body in time for the gig and ends up having to mentor a soul yet to be born on Earth named 22, who is voiced by... Tina Fey. So the two of them, uh, and also 22 is very oppositional about going to Earth, being born. Mm. So through Joe and 22's relationship in The Great Before, and eventually when they get back on Earth, they both discover what it truly means to have a spark for life and what it means to truly live. Other voices in the film include Angela Bassett, Felicia Rashad, Rachel House, who I think honestly steals the show in this film. Jerry, we've got a problem. Oh, the count's off. 151,000 souls go into the great beyond every day. It's 105.2 souls per minute, Jerry. 1.75 souls per second. And I count every single one of them. It's my job to keep track of this stuff, Jerry. I'm the accountant. I'm always counting. I'm counting right now. You blinked five times since I started talking. I think Rachel House is so funny as uh, Terry or Jerry. Rachel Rachel House is incredible. Love her. (laughs) So funny and so good. I didn't realize that I knew her from so many things until after it was over. And I was looking up like, who played this amazing character? And I was like, oh, my God, it's her. She's brilliant. She's so great. Um, We also have Graham Norton in this movie. We have Questlove in this movie, and we have David Diggs, who I usually don't think David Diggs is like a very good screen actor because he is a stage actor. I feel like he is learning how to give you the camera vibes still. Isn't he just in two scenes, though? (laughs) Yeah, he's just in two scenes. But because (laughs) it's just his voice, I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) But a fairly good work there, sir. Fairly good work. Um, So some fun facts about this film. In an earlier draft of the movie, 22 was the main character. She still had her strong dislike for Earth, and the story took place fully in the soul world. I don't think that this was a very surprising thing for me to learn because at a certain point in the film, it really does feel like 22 is the main character and that this really is 
mostly for her, a lesson for her and to push her forward. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know why we're supposed to care. Yeah. I I, yeah. I, I really don't. And I mean, I, I brought up like on Twitter, the one way that this movie could have been saved for me. I mean, there are other aspects, but the one thing that could have really saved it is if the person that he was mentoring wait for it was black yes <laughs> yes amen 100% 100% and at some point over the course of this we will do some recasting of 22 cuz i think you are absolutely correct and that is very essential to truly making this movie into something that I think it wanted to be. Um, Second fun fact is that Joe was earlier depicted as an actor getting his big break on Broadway, and there were other versions where he was a scientist, an animator, and a rock star before they settled on him being a jazz musician. And I think it's good that they, you know, settled on making him an artist and didn't go the Broadway route because I think... There's something about a jazz musician in which even if we haven't been through that, um, through the things that it takes to be a jazz musician, I feel like we've heard a lot of stories and kind of understand that that is a profession that is especially difficult to, I guess, quote unquote, make it in. And I'm at least glad that when they made him a jazz musician that they did decide to make him black because, you know, we've seen La La Land. We've seen all of the the uh, the pretty much erasure of black people in jazz over the past few years in film. And it's like, why are y'all doing that? <laughs> why are we here? Why are y'all doing this? Last fun fact for this movie is that coincidentally... Another film with a black lead about souls getting a chance to come to Earth called Nine Days was slated to come out last year, but is now coming out at an unspecified date this year. I got to see Nine Days uh, through the Hamptons Film Festival, and it's definitely a more adult, a bit of a darker take on this whole concept. Um, have you seen Nine Days, Jordan? No, like I thought about seeing it. I think it was, I think it was at Sundance last year. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I couldn't fit it into my schedule. I have been curious about it. I just assumed it would be out by now. Yeah, I mean, it was supposed to come out, uh, I think maybe even today, around the time that I saw it at the festival, but they pushed it back to, I think they took it off the calendar or just not, you know, putting a date on it now, which is sad because it's actually pretty good. I think especially Winston uh, Duke and Zazie are both really good in it. So I hope it, you know, drops at some point because I think it deserves it deserves some play. And the script is very, very good. Mm. Um So my first experience with this movie, Soul, was uh, on Christmas. I watched it when it came out. And uh, my mom and I have a tradition, not really a tradition, an unofficial tradition of just ending up seeing a lot of the Pixar movies together. Mm -hmm. Not all of them, because I don't know what the Cars movies are. I have not seen them. (laughs) 
Um, one day I will. Um, one, and I, one day I'll just marathon cars. <laughs> one day I'll do just like all of them in the same day. Just like, brat, brat, brat. I can't um, believe there are three Cars movies. That's wild. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I thought the first one was maybe just like a little flub on their part and they would not, you know, ever return. Because it was the first one where people were like, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> but they kept at it because the the kids the little kids they love talking cars that's the thing yeah they love they themselves love cars. talking cars um and i had heard a lot about this movie before it came out like when i first saw the trailer saw the poster heard the concept i honestly was not impressed um and then i saw a lot of articles bringing up the amazing point of like why are there these animated films that have main black characters and these black characters don't get to spend like really even a quarter of the runtime in their black bodies. You know, why is that? And um, especially in film. Um, and I had seen articles about this and heard a lot about this, but then I started to hear, you know, really good things about it and shit like that. And part of me was like, oh, is this just, you know, white people being white people? So I was like, let me just find out for myself and watch the movie. And I was actually um, surprised at how much I liked a lot of the story. I definitely mm. clocked quite a few moments, mm. quite a few moments. Um, and at the same time, there were some nice reminders that I feel like it gave, especially during this specific time that we're going through. Um, so what was your first experience with this movie, Jordan? Uh, when did you first see I watched, it? I watched it on Christmas, like, uh, you know, I didn't, I just kind of wanted to spend the day in bed, like, Christmas is not my favorite holiday, so, like, we knew that Soul, was, my fiancé and I, we knew that Soul was dropping, we knew that the new Wonder Woman was dropping, and so we just got in bed and we watched it. We watched Soul first. Yeah. And then I was like, well, this annoyed me. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And I mean, uh, let's get into these aspects of creatives and the critical lens. Because exactly what you just said is the reason why I have you on the show today talking about this film. After I saw the movie, I really wanted to see what people's reactions to this was. Um, and seeing so many different reactions, I thought was a very good thing. And specifically seeing your reactions, I was like, oh, I've wanted to have Jordane on the show. I think this may be the perfect opportunity because I feel like I understand exactly your points and why you didn't like it. And I agree with you. And at the same time, still, for the most part, like the movie. Mm -hmm. So what were some of the things that annoyed you about the movie? Uh... Well, you know, we, I mean, part of it is that we don't get to see a lot of his life. Yeah. You know, yeah. we see him, we see him teaching. Yeah. And that's nice. And I wish that there was more of that, but we don't see more of like what his life is like. We don't, we don't know Joe. Like we see his apartment. We see that he doesn't have a lot of money. Um, we see that, you know, he's still like, I don't know. He's one of those like like middle-aged men that are still like have just like this weird relationship with their mother yeah. where they're yeah. just like 
where it's just like this whole thing where they're still like trying to impress her. And maybe I, I don't know, maybe I don't get this because I'm not a man. And also because like, I don't care what my mom thinks of me. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> but yeah, he's just going through that whole thing. We don't know if he has any friends. I don't know if we're mm-hmm. supposed to infer that he doesn't, because once he like goes through this whole, like once he goes through the change, when he like dies and comes back and stuff, we don't really see him run into any friends. Like the longest conversation that he has with someone who's not related to him is the barber who I love. Oh my God. Yes. Him. Yes. That was one thing that I super loved about the movie was a lot of things in that scene at the end of the day, like do I want someone else besides Tina Fey engaging with those people? Absolutely. But I feel like I loved the barber. I loved the joke about the weed lollipop in the barber shop. I loved just like so many beats and things that happened in that scene that felt authentic, including like um, Bradford Young uh, was a consult was one of the black consultants they had on this film because they needed they needed some. <laughs> I love black consultants. Yeah. <laughs> I, I felt like somebody involved had seen like the barbershop episode of Atlanta. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Honestly, side note. That show is incredible. At some point, I have given the You Better Act Award to Brian Tyree Henry. His work on that show is... Love, love him. Like, I was I was actually at the Beale Street after party in Toronto. And no! he was, And he was the one person that I could not find. Because everybody was just like, he's very antisocial. He's, like, hiding somewhere. So I, oh. like... <laughs> I met Kiki, I met Regina, I met Coleman, like, uh, and I did not meet him because I couldn't find him. Like, I was looking oh everywhere. Oh, my God. I even, met, I, I even met Jesse Williams, which I didn't even know why he was there, <laughs> but I couldn't meet Brian. Oh, my God. I'm so glad we had that side note about Uh-oh. Brian Tyree Henry in Atlanta. Uh, <laughs> I, oh, my God. Meeting Coleman also, like, what, <gasps> what a king. Like, I... Uh, like I, I such a beautiful gorgeous <laughs> like gentlemanly kind of like I like just such like a a vintage person <laughs> yes yes 100% oh my god like that is the perfect way to describe him pretty much everything about him his appearance the way he dresses just like the the way his demeanor is as well i feel like i've never i said this last week on the show i have a segment called some gay shit where i talk about just some gay shit that's happening in the media or a gay person who is just fly and amazing. So I talked about him and I talked about how um, I don't think I've really seen someone so fine, so talented and so grounded all at once. So, so fine. (laughs) So fine. Like, I was like, Uh. you know... (laughs) Oh my god, just in awe of him anyway. <laughs> exactly. He's everything. He is. Um so before we switch back to some of the things we didn't like about the movie, um so we talked about that we dug the barbershop scene or at least dug Des the character and some elements of the barbershop scene. I also liked uh I feel like 
they captured New York and specifically Queens pretty well. I live in Astoria. So the second they got to the outside of his apartment, I was like, wait, are they in Astoria? Like, are they in Queens right now? Or at least like Sunnyside or something of the like. Yeah, I lived in Astoria for a couple years. Now I live in Woodside. So, yes. Oh, word. Yeah. (sighs) Queens. Queens have been the house. Uh, And it made me miss it because I have been in New Jersey since December 1st. I am Queens. I will be returning to you on Tuesday. Do not worry. I'll be back in you in a few days. But I've been in New Jersey for like almost two months. So seeing this movie, I was like, damn, I miss my neighborhood. I miss like New York right now. Um, And... um, they also nailed it right when they leave the hospital. Like, that energy of just everybody going. I mean, this is, like, the pre-COVID New York energy. Um, and it kind of made me even miss that in a, in a little bit of a way. Like, don't get me wrong. That anxious, overwhelming energy of New York, I don't love generally. But since we've been away from it for so long... I would fuck with it for like a day. You know what I mean? (laughs) And also the ideas around um, productivity, I dug in terms of, you know, you are not what you do. I feel like we can get very much caught up in that. I mean, especially as creatives, right? And especially as people who are kind of working freelance, it's kind of tied into what we do in so many ways, right? Yeah. And especially now, like, it's a very interesting to be a creative in this time of COVID. You know, it may not feel quite as go, go, go in a physical way, but it feels that way in a mental way. You know, still having to hustle in these online meetings and all of these things that we still have to do to make ends meet because where's the government? With the money. Where is the government with the fucking money? No, yeah, I mean, <sighs> I, I really, I'll say that I really identified with Soul in terms of, um, you know, this kind of conflict between different ways that you can be an artist. Like, totally. You could find yourself enjoying being a teacher and then doing your music on like not as your main source of income and it's fine. And I think I'll, I think people forget that you can do that and still be successful. Yes. Like, yes. Choosing teaching doesn't mean that your that your career is over. Exactly. Yeah. And so Exactly. And I wish that's kind of why I wish Joe had a friend who that he could talk to about this because like it just seems like he's like I need to be on stage. This is the only measure of success. And and I do love that once he is there, it it doesn't fulfill him in the way that he thought because he had been building it up so much in his head. Totally. Totally, totally. And where do you think that kind of comes from in terms of creatives because that was something that really hit me this time around when watching it is that beginning scene where he's so disappointed about getting that full-time job so where do you think that kind of those kinds of thoughts come from those feelings of like certain jobs in our professions not being enough yeah well I mean because 
there's no real place for him to shine in this context, right? Like it's not yeah. a, it's not about him. It's about him molding right. young minds. And so it has to be he has to make a commitment to have it be about people that aren't like him. And he also has to deal with the fact that he's going to have students that are going to graduate and become more successful than him and he has to deal with it. And I Word. mean that's a huge I mean that's a huge part of what he's dealing with anyway because it's his old student who is actually performing jazz like he wants to and it's just like hey do you want to do you want to come and be part of this whole thing and it's like it's 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 kind of interesting and I kind of wish the movie had like looked into more like how sad it is for him that it's his student that's giving him an opportunity instead of the other way around that's so true I feel like they do kind of gloss over that very real moment um I think when he's on the phone call he's just like is very outwardly excited. There's nothing within the animation that tells that he could be thinking or even feeling something else. I think it's just very much on the surface. Like, I'm excited for you. Yay, that's awesome. So it's just kind of like one note. And I think that kind of, um, like you were saying, not giving us any insight as much into his life as they could have or into his feelings beyond this one thing, really. Um, Yeah, you kind of miss out on a lot of nuance with his character. Yeah. There's kind of, like, two main emotions they give him, and that's, like, it. Yeah, he's very... I don't know. He's he's like obsessed with his dad, which I you know, I think that that's a very like normal. He's like obsessed with his dad and Mm -hmm. his mom thinks that he's kind of a failure. And those are kind of like the two things. And I understand that. But I also feel like Pixar is obsessed with dads in a way that they really need to reckon with, because this this mother is probably the most realized character and we don't get to spend much time with her. But the way that she is designed, the way that she looks like her looks have so much meaning in them. Her group of friends, like that what is her so job true. is like she was the most fascinating character for me. That's true. And they honestly don't spend like that much time with her either. Um, You have those two great scenes with her, um, excellently voiced by Felicia Rashad. Felicia Rashad can truly do no wrong. But again, I think it's like definitely very good, excellent points for them in terms of absolutely nailing the design of her and giving her and her friends so much texture and so much like familiarity You walk into the shop and that's another scene where I feel like, oh, I know all of these people. These people feel very real and specific within like a a short amount of time. Yeah. uh, yeah. And I think that that's where we run into the issues with Pixar, like as as a studio and kind of like their inclinations, because they will they will build a very interesting human world and then they will abandon it because they don't want to be in it. And it's weird because as time goes by, they get better and better better at like creating a world that you know like water and like all those things they work so hard to make things look realistic which I which I'm not saying is good or bad it's whatever I mean like it's cartoons you can make the world look whatever you want I don't understand right. this this emphasis on making it look real but then they do all of this work to make everything look real and then we don't get to stay in that world and I just don't understand 
why go through all the trouble if you're just going to take us to this like afterlife world that honestly has less detail and is probably easier to do absolutely (laughs) like yeah and so like and it almost feels like his blackness is like a dressing because everything is aesthetics and it's interesting that like um everything everything about that world feels real like aesthetically it really really works but then we leave that aesthetic and we only and then when we come back it's like tina fey it's like tina so much of the movie once tina fey really really like gets into joe's body so much of the movie is her in black places trying to trying to pretend to be a black man and there this and it just shouldn't be there there's no reason for it to be there i agree i agree so speaking of that let's get into what we really didn't like in this movie and like i was saying you know though i liked it there are several moments that I clocked. The biggest moment for me in general is what you were just saying. When she dropped into his body, I it took me a really good like five to ten minutes to really just even get back into the movie because I disliked that so much. And it and you know, <clears throat> in terms of uh black representation in animation and how horrible it's been for decades, just for forever. This feels like the move of liberal whites, you know, like someone who didn't feel like they meant anything by it, but did not take the time to realize the implications of what this was doing. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. And like, we can, like, for example, like we could look at Coco and like, Coco is so, Coco is not interested in like wasps or like the, like Pixar's version of white people at all. Like it's exactly, it is exactly in that world. It stays in that world. And I feel like, and I mean, Disney and Pixar have this, have this thing where it's like, Um, This isn't Pixar, but like Moana, once again, it's like very much in that world, Mm -hmm. Um, which I want to reiterate, not Pixar. That's Disney. It's very confusing because they're so associated with each other. Exactly. But um, this film does not want us to stay in a black world. And it kind of twists itself into knots to avoid it or to Mm. make the experience that we do have in it still anchored to whiteness. Yeah, that is so, so true. And it makes me think of... um, In Marlon Riggs' documentary, uh, Color Adjustment, the question is asked over and over again, like, is this a positive image? And to take that even further in terms of Black representation, like, is this a positive image for who? Like, who is this for? Yeah. You know? And I don't, and I just truly do not think that it is for us. It's kind of like, uh, like, because they know that a bunch of children are going to be watching this and they're just like, Mm -hmm. okay, here are black people, children. Like, this is what they're like. I also want to say that I think it's interesting that he is an adult. 
Like th- this is a story about True. an adult. Like I, I, like I don't know. It makes me think of Princess and the Frog and how it's also just like a story about an adult who doesn't really have like a lot of like whimsical experiences. <laughs> that's when, so true. When it's a this is supposed to be a whimsical kind. Of, that's that's kind of like Disney's Disney and Pixar's whole thing. It's like we're taking you into a world. But I just love this yeah. idea that they only can think of like black. <laughs> they can only think of black adults. Yes. <laughs> wow, that's so true. And it's it's funny and appropriate that you bring up uh, the princess and the frog. I just watched that for the first time no, this past weekend. I'm it's so, not good. I'm <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> like, first of all, I think honestly, that is one of the most disappointing things I've seen in a while on so many fronts. Of course, there is the discourse around the fact that she is a frog for most of this movie. Well, yes. And, you know, <laughs> Joe is a cat. For a lot of this movie. (laughs) Ah, That was like almost triggering when it happened. And um, at that point, I was like, damn, I would have rather him just been a little blue thing with a hat than this. Well, because like if it's a blue thing, then it's at least it's him. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, Okay. So speaking of 22, let's let's recast 22, because this is something that I have been thinking about for a while, because I love the point that you made on Twitter about how not everything, but lots of things, lots of uh, major things could have been fixed by casting a black person in this role as Joe's mentee. Um, And I had a couple of thoughts about who that could be. And side note about the casting of this too, it's not even like they cast... Tina Fey in terms of box office, right? Because they really didn't use anybody's name in the advertisements except for Jamie Foxx. I, in fact, really didn't remember since the press release that she was even in the fucking movie. They they did not, yeah, they did not use her name to advertise the film. And why would they? Mm -mm. She's not a big name in film anymore. Exactly, exactly, exactly. The the choice for her, like, it it feels, it feels very like Sarah Silverman and Wreck-It Ralph, but the thing about it is, is that Sarah Silverman, like, brought something to that character that Tina Fey is not bringing to 22. Like I That's true. Like when when I see Sarah Silver when I hear her when I hear Sarah Silverman in Wreck-It Ralph, I'm like, I can see what she's doing and I can see why kids would like this character. Exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's so true. But like uh Tina Fey, she's not a box office draw. No one is particularly like interested in her as a performer anymore. Mm-mm, like mm-mm. she's most known for her writing now. Right. And it's just it feels like a very strategic choice to just Yeah. And I do, but I don't know what the strategy is. Thank you. Like, that's that's my question. It's just what like What is the strategy? I really don't understand because even in terms of voices, she does not have the most like super recognizable voice or anything like that. No. I mean like when you're casting someone like Sarah Silverman, you're like 
you hear her voice, you're just like, oh, that's Sarah Silverman. You hear like a Jenny Slate, you're just like, oh, that's Jenny Slate. You hear Amy Poehler, you're like, that's Amy they, Poehler. Because yeah, because they do a lot. Their their voices are distinctive. Like it's not even that I think that Tina Fey is giving a bad performance. I think that she is like showing range that she honestly doesn't normally show. Like yeah, yeah, like exactly. not since like I mean Thirty Rock, yeah. But in terms of animation, I thought she was very good in Ponyo, the dub of um, the Miyazaki. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. But I feel like she has more. She brought more to it because she's actually the age of a mom. Like she can be a mom. Totally, totally. Whereas like as a kid, like it just doesn't even feel like she understands, like she's in touch with that anymore. Totally. Yeah, yeah. We're like there. But there are other actors that are just like kind of like eternally childlike. And she's just she's not one of them. Like she is an adult performer. And like, and and the other thing, well, the thing about 22 is that this is a character who will not leave purgatory to become a person like she like she won't leave. And okay, why wouldn't a white woman want to become a white woman? Like that doesn't that doesn't make sense Uh, because but but, you know, another layer of it, if this person was black, it's like. Okay, there are definite fears about becoming a physical black person and having that body and what that what that means in the world, what that Mm. seems like. So a a little like black boy or a black woman, like scared of what it's like to be a human would make more sense. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And Pixar was just like not trying to go there whatsoever. And that would have been that would have been amazing. That would have been amazing for us. It would have been it would have been good. And also, like, if a lot of it wouldn't even occur to a lot of kids. Like we could, we could have this element that makes sense to adults that kids don't pick up on and it could still work. Like it's not too heavy because I don't think that kids would understand it anyway. Totally, totally, totally. And that's honestly something that keeps it, that would also keep it a movie to keep going back to, you know, as you get older and as you start to understand more and like be in this world and such, damn, Damn, they need to hire you, Jordane. <laughs> but, um, oh, uh, side note to uh, going back for uh, just a second. I love Miyazaki. I love Ponyo. That shit slaps. It is so good. I um, Yes, I saw Ponyo for the first time, like, in December, and, like... It is the best. It is a perfect movie. It's I am so obsessed good. with it. Yes. When people say they don't like it that much, I'm just like, no. what are you talking about? What like, what are you talking with about? You? It is so good. Like, <laughs> it's it, so good. It, it had been described to me for years as like lesser Miyazaki. And I'm just like, I don't no. know what you're talking about. Like, I truly <laughs> don't know. <laughs> so in terms of um, 22 and recasting this character, mm. I had thought that, you know, my Rudolph could have been a really good 22. Mm-hmm. Um, who mm. else was I thinking? Mm. I was thinking someone else. Uh, <laughs> Wanda Sykes could have been a really interesting 22. <laughs> I think Wanda Sykes would have been like hilarious. I think she would just bring 
she would honestly still bring a lot of the attitude, quote unquote, that they want 22 to have, I think just naturally. And I think in a bit of a different way that would be less annoying and just kind of like more funny. You know, that's that's interesting because like I would actually go younger. Mm. Um, like what if it was somebody like, what if it was somebody like Marseille Martin? I thought her too. She would be amazing. Yeah, and I'm trying to think, like, who else, like, in terms of, like, could, what, what young man could do it? Um, that, uh, boy who's in education in Small Axe, I like him a lot. Ah, yeah, He's really good. I like him, too. Like, I feel like he would do a lot of really interesting nuanced work. Because, I mean, he he made me cry in education, yo. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh my God. When, he, when his mom has the book and he can't read it and she hugs him and I, oh, my God, just <laughs> tears. Uh, I think, yeah. Um, who else? Because I, I like your idea and, I, and makes so much more sense with what you see with the rest of the souls. They're all voiced by children. That makes so much more sense. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, it's like, it's like this one adult voice among children. <laughs> and it's just, it's so strange. I also think that Zendaya would fucking nail it. Oh my God, Zendaya would be so good. She, Damn. She is so good with comedy and she is so good with like having attitude. And, yeah. Yeah. And she's done voice before in films. And she, she was a Disney kid. Like she was a yes. legitimate Disney kid. Like, oh her, my God. Her last Disney show ended like two years ago. It was called KC Undercover, I believe. <laughs> oh shit! I didn't even know about that. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a <sighs> really interesting one. Um, yeah, I love her. And like, and, Zen, and Zendaya would have been the perfect. It's so weird that it did not occur to them that it could be her. As if fact, they were trying to do box office, like Jamie Foxx and Zendaya, like you got everybody, you got everyone. And she's already like part of Disney because she's in the um the Marvel she's part of the universe, fam. right? Like it's just it's right there see now oh my god i wish i could just get the movie and then just redub it with redub. her yes. oh my god I would, I would love that you know what in about 20 years i think it'll be it'll, i think it'll be time to to approach all of them and be like hey look so you fucked up <laughs> and we're gonna fix it for you we're gonna do a redo okay this is gonna be so redo um <laughs> That is such a good idea. Oh my god. I just, oh my god. Oh. Just her? I'm just imagining Zendaya in the barbershop. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh. oh my god. Now I'm kind of like upset. Now I'm like pissed. You had someone in the fam in the who could have gotten this. She's like double fam too because she's Disney Channel, right? And then this she's also MCU. Yes. Yeah. 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 Damn. Oh my God. This is a Zendaya stand podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my God. I'm also wondering too, something that I was thinking, and in terms of giving him more life and fleshing him out, what the fuck is the deal with Lisa? What the fuck is the deal with Lisa? Why 
mention Lisa if we're not why like why wouldn't Lisa like be at the be at the place when he performed with like Angela Bassett exactly why isn't there like a picture of Lisa in his apartment why doesn't his mom mention Lisa like that could be like you you know why Lisa left you it's because it's because you're (laughs) broke (laughs) you're broke Uh, it's like come on ma you ain't gotta bring it there (laughs) that would have been so good I love your point that you've been making about having another person for him to talk to and to reference in his world that would have been perfect like a lover or a recent ex-lover oh my god that would have added so much layers someone who someone who knows him that can tell that he's acting differently yes absolutely because he's so Ah. he's so isolated that everybody is just like oh he must be having a weird day (laughs) right right who gonna know in this case who gonna know in this case you know and I kept wondering like the way that they do the women in the uh the tailor shop and the way that the barbershop is represented I think they give a lot of texture to the women who work for his mom and also to Dorothea um the woman who Angela Bassett is the voice of who's the leader of the jazz quartet it would have been great if they had another black woman who was you know, Joe's age that they could have also maybe given that attention to detail love. and texture to and love. Yeah, love Dorothea. Love yes. her. Love it. But like, yes. she only gets like two scenes. Like, there's a scene that she appears in where she doesn't really talk. And that's when he like, when she like sees him like acting wild and shit. But yeah, yeah. she really only, she really only gets like two scenes. And I mean, she does it because she's Angela Bassett. Angela Bassett could show up in a movie with like, like an edible arrangement and then leave yes. and it would be a great performance but yeah, yeah she's great she, she's great but yeah it, they could talk like they could talk about being like middle-aged artists because this is an older woman like what is her journey when did right. she become successful like i feel right. like because she's not the place that she's playing like isn't a huge venue either so that's true yeah so we don't actually know how famous she really is or maybe like how famous she wants to be like we don't know any of that and they also have that part where she um drops that you know deep quote on him about the younger fish and the older fish in the ocean i heard this story about a fish He swims up to this older fish and says, I'm trying to find this thing they call the ocean. The ocean, says the older fish. That's what you're in right now. This, says the young fish, this is water. What I want is the ocean. So having her say that quote, that kind of thing that's supposed to be super deep, you're right. I want to know more about, you know, how she feels about where she is in her life because to have that quote makes it sound like she's been where Joe is. So she knows how to give him a little bit of advice about where he is and such like that. Yeah, yeah. There's so much. Yeah, because I feel like the what the movie is trying to do is that, like, Joe thinks that he wants to be famous, but the truth is, is that, like, he gets more out of being a mentor, which, mm-hmm. which I think is, you know, like, a really good place to sit at. But it's very unclear to me what he is really giving 22 word word totally totally yeah yeah 
And, and, and why, like, even if like he would be really the best person to mentor someone like that in the first place. Right. Absolutely. Like it does definitely feel like all of these things in the story that could be improved by really leaning into blackness and the black experience, you know, besides Pixar and the history of Disney and the history of, you know, black animated characters in animated films, you know, them not leaning into this aspect is because they kind of like slapped it onto the character. You know, this wasn't originally thought of as a black character. Um, It was a character that was written and worked on and then made into a black character. They got people to come in and help to try to make, you know, the experience feel more authentic and stuff, but it wasn't intrinsically ever really part of the story that makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i just want i want to see more feature length animated films about black characters where it is the case that it is about a black experience where from jump that is what it is about because i feel like it was kind of fucking slapped on princess and the frog too like I, uh, the only feature length, and I am sure that there are others that you can maybe think of, but the only feature length animated film I can think of that's like super black is Bebe's Kids. Are there any others? Uh, Bebe's Kids is super black. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really trying to think of other... So, so much so that, like, I'm pretty sure the people who made Bay Bay's kids are also responsible for the Proud family. Which Yes, I like, love the Proud family. So, like, it makes sense that those two things, like, would be related. Yeah. Um, in terms of animated films... Oh. I mean... I think there are ones uh, that are about Black people that do not live here. Like, yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. But, that are not American. But not like, I don't think like African-American. Now I'm just like on my letterbox trying to see <laughs> if there's if there's something because, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Oh, by the way, audience, per usual, uh, plugging Letterboxd. Uh, I've talked about Letterboxd a couple times on the podcast. It's a good way to log your movies, you know. Some people are trash and will come at you for calling something uh, super white. But uh, other than that, (laughs) I love it. Someone came for me for my review of I'm Thinking of Ending Things because I said it felt like white people problems the movie. And they were like, um, do you not think black people get depressed and black people are anxious? I'm like, that's not what I said. (laughs) I'm going to need you to stop (laughs) with that discourse. I mean, my thing about I'm Thinking of Ending Things is that like, it's basically a worse version of Synecdoche, New York. It just feels Word. like it just feels like Kaufman is remaking his movie. And I don't understand why, because Synecdoche, New York goes off like we don't need <laughs> another one. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so the last thing that we'll talk about in terms of soul is, you know, something that really hit me while watching this again was the fact that You know, I have felt very extremely exhausted at many times. Like I was saying before, like hustling during the pandemic to make ends meet in a way that just feels in some ways even more tiring 
than it was before. And, you know, I'm very grateful for the opportunities that I've been able to get in order to continue to make ends meet during this time. But, you know, this week, for example, was just like really busy and really tough. And I felt like I was in a place this week where I was just checking off to-do lists and just like doing shit and doing shit and doing shit without a lot of joy. Mm. So watching this movie was a reminder of, you know... The whole idea of having um, a spark. And I think COVID itself has been a very difficult time for people to hold on to that and to have it at all times. Um, It's been a really tough time for mental health for a lot of people. And I think that that um, is a part of, you know, having a spark and having a spark to live. So how have you been able to kind of keep your spark going at times during COVID personally? I have no idea. Um, I mean, I just keep on getting deadlines and I have to and I have to meet them. And I have noticed that, like, it's taking me forever to write things that it wouldn't normally take me forever to do. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's just I just keep on like doing stuff I keep on making excuses to get out of bed like and it's just like the fact that like it's like I'm miserable getting ready to just like I have to get the coffee I gotta get ready to be on camera like it's miserable like getting there but I know that if I didn't do it then it would feel worse you know totally totally I feel you 100% I totally agree it has been you know those things those kinds of work milestones that we're working to and kind of, you know, eventually at some point seeing the reward of those, like being able to see, for example, how NewFest was received this year and being able to engage people with NewFest in a way that I wasn't able to last year by being like, yo, like fam in Cleveland or like my mom who can't make it to New York, like giving her a list of movies and, you know, being able to watch them this year versus not being able to come in person last year. So there's like some rewards at the end of the no pun intended, but pun intended rainbow um, (laughs) that you can uh, see. But sometimes getting there is just really tough and really taxing and can be very exhausting. And yeah, I have a whole week of directing virtual sketches next week for a sketch team, uh, literally all week. So I'm looking forward, looking forward to that and trying to ignite that spark so I can bring something to that and try not to be exhausted, but at the same time, be honest with myself when I am, Uh, A lot of my horoscopes this week on Twitter have been like, Scorpio, you need to relax. You need to find time to unwind. You need to meditate. You need to like do some self-care. And those are always good reminders. And a reminder that did come through through this movie, even though, like we were saying, there are so many issues and so many ways in which this film that has good intentions could have really been enhanced and like truly been like a masterpiece. Um, So in conclusion for this movie, as I've said, I really enjoyed this in a lot of ways and I'm fully able to understand why a lot of folks didn't like it as I try to with most things that I like. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I expected to dislike this a lot more 
uh, while still agreeing about the things that we were saying that we would improve and uh, ways in which this movie could have been way, way better. Um, and I think just being at this point in my life, it impacted me in some ways from the story. Um, and at the same time, I am still looking forward to black representation and film animation to just go further. I mean, we still didn't come up with something besides Bebe's kids, right? I mean, some black animation in full-length film that is truly for us and by us. You know, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, And I also wanted to note that I really like the jazz score in this by John Baptiste. well as the Great Beyond, Great Before score by the Nine Inch Nails dudes. Oh, Trent Reznor and yeah. styles kind of work nicely together um and uh yeah there are things about this film that are beautiful and it's worth having a conversation like this about it having true black discourse about it uh because an article that i saw i think someone put together a little thread on twitter of like five black critics that she could find that had written reviews for it. Other than that, it was white people. So it's like, we, (laughs) I just want to see and I want to have more discourse about our films with each other because white people leading the conversation is so absolutely frustrating. Yeah. Like to to have a movie come out like The Last Black Man in San Francisco and have so much white discourse about it was so annoying. The one review that I agreed with, I think it was a brother who wrote it for Vanity Fair, and I was like, yes to everything about this. Are you talking are you talking about Cam? Ah, I think so, yeah. Love Cam. He he writes for Rolling Stone now. His review was pitch perfect of that movie, and it was what I felt. Because that movie got so much acclaim because it was a lot of fucking white people writing about it. Because that's who is, you know, hired at these places. So I have loved having this conversation today about um this movie, and I, you know, want to see just more and not even from Disney and Pixar at this point. I just from from someone else. Uh. Yeah, yeah, someone else would be great. Like we don't uh. Like yeah, I'm not I'm not really interested in like bullying Pixar into doing anything no. else. They're fine. No. 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 <laughs> y'all have showed us. Y'all y'all took your turn. Okay, just you know, do something else. Um and uh this film is now streaming on Disney Plus. All my life I had to fight. Oh, right, everybody. The time has come 
for the You Better Act Award. If it is your first time at Adventures in Black Cinema, the You Better Act Award is an award that I give out every week to a Black performance that I think deserves more love and attention, and I want to give it that, so I do. And this week's You Better Act Award goes to, drumroll please... Jasmine Bachelor in The Surrogate. The Surrogate is a movie directed by Jeremy Hirsch that was released in 2020. Um, I, first of all, had the pleasure and privilege of working with Jasmine in a different company during the same summer at the Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey. She was in the touring company. I was in the apprentice company. And I got to know her and I got to see her immense talent even then when she was a Juilliard student. I think she was going into her first year at the time. She is so amazing in this film as a woman named Jess who offers to be the surrogate for her best friend and his husband. Uh, At the end of the first trimester, they receive some news about the baby that rocks their relationship and puts the whole situation on truly rocky ground. The film then begins an interesting and difficult conversation about birth ethics, and Jasmine is absolutely brilliant. She brings such a real person to the screen who is presented to be as complicated as the situation is, and you can see her intelligence just bleeding through the screen as she navigates this character. Uh, This film is definitely sure to start a lot of conversation. And one of the most consistent things you will hear in conversation about this film is how brilliant Jasmine is in this role and how much she truly enhances the film. Um, She was nominated for Best Breakthrough Actor at the Gotham Awards this year. That award ended up going to Kingsley Ben-Adir, who is a previous recipient of the You Better Act Award on this show, as is another winner of the Gotham Awards this year, Nicole Bahare won uh, Best Actress. For Miss Juneteenth! For Miss Juneteenth. Great, great movie, great performance. Loves me some Kendrick Sampson. Um, I interviewed her for Sight and Sound. Ah! Is she amazing? Yeah. Ah! She's so good in this movie, and I, uh, I just really want the best for her always. She's so talented. She's so great. And she got the You Better Act Award uh, for our last show of 2020. So y'all already know, I be knowing about these performances. They're really good. Um, and check this one out. This film is now streaming on Stars, And in closing, uh, some food for thought for everybody out there. As I asked Jordan, what kinds of things have kept your spark going during this incredibly tough year of the COVID pandemic? Comment on SFB Society. Comment on our Instagram. Follow us on Instagram at Adventures in Black Cinema. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple. Follow us on Spotify. Thank you per usual to the team, our audio engineer, Matt Mozzarella, our production assistant, Cindy Edwards, and our executive producer, Miss Amanda Seals. And thank you so much, Jordan, for being on the show today. It has been so wonderful to talk to you and have a conversation about this film. Yeah, thanks for having <laughs> me. It's been it's been a really good conversation.
Yes, yes. And hopefully there'll be another one in the future one of these days. Um, We are going to close the show out on a different song today instead of the usual end credits. We're going to close with a song by a wonderful musical artist who I mentioned in our episode about Little Woods, uh, Miss Valerie June, because every time I think of this movie, Soul, I think of her song, I Got Soul. So we're going to play that in the end today. And next week, we will be getting into the nitty gritty of Regina King's directorial debut, One night in Miami. So see y'all then. Till then, stay safe, stay black, and stay blessed. See y'all next week.